0: Welcome to Making Oregon, the podcast that brings you conversations with innovators, makers, and groundbreakers from all across our state. They talk with us about what they're doing to make Oregon the best place we know to create a diverse and prosperous economy. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Terry St. Marie, co-founder of Built Oregon. Today, our guest is Eric Olson, founder and owner of Portland Design Works. PDW makes bike gear and accessories that are designed in-house for the urban and everyday cyclist. The designs and gear have a little bit of fun and flair too, an aspect that distinguishes their products from the rest of the pack. Eric moved to Portland from Madison, Wisconsin in 2008 to start Portland Design Works, and we'll hear about his childhood in Minnesota, his decision to study Chinese while he was in college, and how his entrepreneurial spark came about while he was working at a Madison bike shop. He'll also share a ton of helpful advice and hard-earned wisdom for the aspiring maker entrepreneur. So with that, let's get the conversation started. So, Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So, we have something in common. We spent some time in Wisconsin. That's my home state. Um, but you're a native Minnesotan, right? Is that did I say yep. that right? Minnesotan?
1: Yep. yep. Native Minnesotan. Go Twins. Go Twins. So, so, um, so you
0: grew up in the Midwest, and I, I always think that growing up in the Midwest is kind of like this like, foundational white picket fence. Um, you know, st- straight laced and how, how what was your childhood like uh, in the Minneapolis suburbs? uh
1: yeah, I would I would say that's um, I don't know, I'd say that was fairly accurate. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't uh was not anything too outrageous. I mean, I grew up um, in, until um, uh, fifth grade, I think it was in uh, northeast Minneapolis, um, so it was pretty, actually a pretty diverse area uh, a lot of Lebanese and um, uh, yeah uh, actually it was traditionally a Polish neighborhood really uh, I went to a Holy Cross uh, Catholic school did you? when I was uh, Asked when I. I was a little kid when I was a little kid for yeah for three or four years um, but yeah it was uh, I, I, I loved it I still love it I love going back to Minnesota
0: yeah and when did when did a bicycle come into play? I'm curious, in your childhood, was there some of, part of that that sort of led you to where you, you were today as part of your childhood experience?
1: Oh, I think the same as a lot of people. Um, you get that first bike. I remember I had a used, it was like a used Schwinn Cruiser type bike. With Ooh, Schwinn uh, Cruiser, yeah. Yeah, so it was just kind of like a, a fixed gear, or not a fixed gear, um, a single speed uh, deal. I remember I had a, had a Chrome aftermarket, Chain guard that my dad put on there so I wouldn't get my pants dirty. Very nice. Uh, it was a little big when he got it, because he wanted me to grow into it. So I had to like dismount in a very <laughs> awkward way, um, How old so that were you I could. Uh, uh, oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I was a little kid. It started out with training wheels. Um, got rid of those pretty quick, so I'd be, so I could be cool. Yeah, and, of uh, course. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was just you know, it it really increased the range. I don't know. Um, it seems like kids were a little freer to wander the neighborhood, at least when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my, my yeah. friends and I, we'd go to the nearby parks and stuff. Even, you know, when you're pretty little, first and second grade, you'd be cruising around. Um, in Minneapolis, there's a lot of alleys, so we'd play in the alleys a lot, especially if it was rainy. There's sort of a a uh, kind of a gutter down the middle of the alley, and you could rip through that on your bikes. And sure. It's super muddy. That's so Midwest. Uh, I know in Milwaukee where I grew up, there's all these back alleys that you could take bicycles oh, so and fun. things. I As know. a kid, like… Yeah the treasures we found in between garages and alleys and stuff i mean that was you know some of the best memories of growing up or just making forts back there oh yeah
0: oh yeah. yeah so so when did any inklings of a professional career come about you know i know you ended up going to college at, 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 in madison wisconsin so mm-hmm. so take us through your sort of process in which you said okay uh, this is what i want to do and then you
1: enrolled in college uh, oh how how I landed! Yeah, how I landed at, landed at uh, yeah, starting a Portland Design Works. Or oh, well that's, yeah. Uh, that's I a mean long, we're kind
0: of doing the timeline here, so g- give, us, long give us more some more um,
1: background on it. Uh, yeah, so went to um, went to Wisconsin. Didn't really know um, what I was going to do, uh, as a lot of people. Did you just feel like you'd, I need to go to college? I need to. Oh do yeah, something, yeah. Or? I was just kind of, and it wasn't. I wasn't. <clears throat> I wasn't very. Um, I don't think I did a lot of homework on where to go. I just knew that Wisconsin had reciprocity with Minnesota, so the tuition was going to be low, in-state right, tuition. Right. Um, and I wanted to move somewhere a little bit away from home. So, you know, Madison's four-and-a-half-hour drive from Minneapolis. So you could get uh, so there if you wanted. And yeah, yeah. Far enough away. Uh, far enough away. Still easy to come home um, over the holidays and such. Uh, yeah, so got there and just started, just started doing general studies. Um, and how did that lead everybody, how did that lead to studying Chinese? That's what I, I how, how did that connect? Uh, so, kind of a- so, interestingly enough, I think it's, I don't know if there's other colleges like this or not, but at the time I know it was pretty unique in that uh, University of Wisconsin, um, there, was, there was a language requirement um, and they had a really robust language program because if more than X number of students, a very low number, like four or five, wanted to take a language, they were required to provide it. Um, and so there's just this huge language program there. Um, and I wanted to do something interesting. Chinese looked interesting. And China was really sort right. of on the rise at that time. And this would have been the um, 1997, I guess. Right. Um, and so, yeah, just seemed like a good thing to do.
0: So you thinking it in, in terms of Uh, From a career perspective, that oh, I could be a translator, or I could, or or was there some business
1: inkling about it? There was more business, business and law. Honestly, I was thinking it would come in useful in in either of those disciplines. And um, I actually ended up going over and living in China for a couple of years to really. Master the language because I realized I wasn't going to get good at it in Madison, Wisconsin. No, not a lot of Chinese speakers there, I would gather. (laughs) No, well, at the university, (laughs) sure, but yeah, it's not. You know, I'm not. You're not (sighs) using it every day. Yeah. Um, So where where were you in in China? Uh, I was in um, Beijing for a year, Mm -hmm. and then I was in um, had an internship at a company uh, outside of Shanghai in a a very small town called Zhangjiagang, in. and what do Maybe they do? Two hours west of China, it was a it was a startup, sort of a large scale startup that was working on importing American products into China, so um, like large machines and things like that, that um, you know American made things. Uh, so this was just the very early stages where we we're trying to make uh, create a distribution network and get partners on board in China. Um, it was really really interesting.
0: Yeah. So you were <laughs> you were doing your work uh not really as a translator
1: but you were just working there so you had to speak the. i had to speak the yeah, language yeah i, imagine, I learned right? it much better than i did going to school in beijing um when i had to give presentations and things in chinese because i was i was very nervous about answering questions and yeah and all this stuff so i there's a lot of sleepless nights um
0: it's pretty wow. stressful actually I would imagine, but it was good so in the long
1: run it was good it, it um
0: so you're standing up i'm just trying to p- get this picture you're in beijing like how did i end up here i would imagine <laughs> to making a presentation in chinese for this industrial company um, where did you think that would go from there i mean or, or are you
1: just riding the moment and seeing it where where it would go or? just kind of riding the moment hoping to get a job with at the time i i was thinking oh, i'll get a, i'll try to get a job with like a big american company like work either working in china or working in the us but doing stuff with expanding their um, footprint in china or breaking into the china market like that was like the hot Thing at the time, especially sure. like we gotta, yeah. you know, we gotta go to China. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to be involved in all, all of that. And uh, so, 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 you, so this was after college. You spent some time in China. This is actually sort of during, during college. Oh, so, um, so I came back and I had a semester left. Oh, to, so you took a to little finish. break. So I where? actually, drew, yeah, so I actually withdrew from the university. I see, and then went back and did that final semester. Ah, okay. and that would have been um, 2002 that I
0: graduated. So okay, so you graduated, you spent your time in China, and
1: what ha- You came back to the states and found some work. So a key, a key part of that story is that before I went to China when I was in college, almost right off the bat, I was working at a bicycle shop, ah, budget okay. bicycle center. There you uh, go. In in Madison, Wisconsin. So. Um, that's a know, Big bike town. It's a real big bike town. It's a great bike town. They've got good infrastructure. Got strong bicycle advocacy there. Um, great place to bike.
0: Yeah, and I assume you had you owned a bike while you were in college there, and oh, tons tooled of bikes around. <laughs> yeah, it was probably a lot of a bike swim. riding. It was probably not a
1: swim <laughs> though. Oh no, I had uh, all sorts of all sorts of fun bikes. <laughs> oh, so that's um, when it really was when I, I think that's of when biceps. it really. Yeah. I mean, um, certainly I did it a lot. You know, mountain bike and all that stuff in high school, but. Uh, In college, it was like, you know, you're getting around on a bike, hanging out with your buddies, riding bikes around, uh, all that sort of stuff. Is that when the
0: germ, maybe, of uh, what later became Portland Design Works came about? Because, you know, your brand is all about the urban biking experience. And, of course, Madison is an urban is a pretty big college town and it, there was a lot of urban driving. I mean, did you like, are you, did have that typical sort of future entrepreneur thing where, geez, I wish I had this kind
1: of, you know, thing on my bike <laughs> that I could carry stuff around? Or or is that just something that came to you later? No, to be honest, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't- it never crossed my mind to go into business for myself really? at, at that time. No, really? no, I never thought of it. You know, I always just thought of just basically finding a job after college. Uh-huh. <laughs> like a lot of okay. people, you know, like, got to find a job. Um, but there was some foundational, I guess, in hindsight. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Um, definitely been immersed in bikes for a long, long time.
0: Okay, so so you, you did a lot of biking. You graduated. Yeah. Graduated. You speak really good Chinese. Then what uh-huh. happened?
1: So then the summer after uh, I graduated, I was just working at the bike shop, same bike shop that I'd been working at, kind of looking around. I had, talked to some, um, I had talked to some companies here and there. Um, one of the more promising things actually was in the, in the bicycle industry working for a saddle manufacturer. Um, but what I ended up landing was a job with a company called Planet Bike Who's based in uh, Madison, mm. uh, and they do bicycle accessories. So okay, All <laughs> so, right. You know, I just started started out there doing uh, just like customer service. It was a, it was like a four person company or something when when I joined up. So it was kind of yeah, uh, like you know, like any startup. Right. You wear a lot of hats. You do customer service. Sure. But you unload containers and um, you're, ship- you're shipping stuff. You're <laughs> making <the> coffee. <laughs> right, right. You're cleaning the toilets, right. The whole thing. Right um and what was that experience like uh it was fun it was um i learned a lot and i learned a lot there about running a small business and um everything from accounting to uh how to get by on a shoestring budget to mm-hmm. um you know i sort of moved into a product development role which worked out uh, really well uh, knowing mandarin because a lot of <clears throat> a lot of our products were produced in taiwan and china uh, okay. Um, so I had an opportunity to go over there and start working with some um, suppliers on product development. Um yeah, and so you just kind of got there. immersed
0: with the whole supply chain to, from design yeah, from, to yeah, distribution from to sales? From development
1: to distribution to sales to marketing to, to all of that and stuff. Then, yeah. And then
0: having that knowledge uh, in China where a lot of this stuff gets produced. So you're probably thinking, oh, I could do this
1: myself. Or, or no. That, or is it, still, it was like, still, I hate it and it it I, I want to get my corporate there. job. It was, more, it was more, I got to a point um, in a you know in a small company there's only so there's only so sure. far you can climb or so sure. much you can do and so I kind of got to the point where I was like okay I, like, I get this and um, I'm, I'm sort of ready for the next challenge I guess I was just getting sort of antsy and so I started looking into all this stuff like uh. um, I was I was thinking about going to law school and I went down that road pretty far and then I um, and then I actually ended up going to um, I started to get my MBA um also at Wisconsin, just going to, sort of going to uh, night school. Uh, and it was really in that MBA class that that I started to think, well, this isn't, I thought there was all this mystery business stuff that, like, I needed to learn to right. really, like, Right, um, if someone's going to peel over you know, up up the curtain. Right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> take Planet Bike to the next level or, like, right, right. do whatever, like, just just sort of conquer the next challenge. Um, and it all, it, it all was really sort of common sense, it seemed to me, and, and straightforward. And so that's when I started thinking, like, you know, maybe I should just, do maybe i should just start my own thing do do exactly what there I it want was and whatever and so yeah i didn't i didn't uh wait very long to act on it i sort of like dropped out of that program and and started it up
0: boom so are, are you usually that decisive or, or was
1: that just one of those things that you just knew uh, at that time you know i got i got pretty excited about it i mean I, I, certainly a, a lot of planning went, went into it but sure. it was but it was pretty fast i guess in, in retrospect yeah um yeah, I guess I do. I do tend to get excited about things and, and act on, act on them. Well, that's usually. a good thing.
0: So, so you made this decision, like, okay, I'm going to do this, and
1: um, and that led you here, right? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I was like, you know, you only live once. If I'm going to start a whole new company, I could start it anywhere, I guess. And it made me think too. I actually visited the actually visited the University of Oregon um, Law School when I was looking at law schools and i remember uh just like the scenery and the right. trees yeah. and just like how beautiful it was and like you know being close to the ocean and all that stuff and I was did like, you hey. visit portland when you came very briefly um i stopped in um we had a planet bike actually had a distributor so i was like oh if i'm in town i should go talk to our distributor and say hey um but very briefly i mean i kind of moved to your site unseen and my uh then girlfriend now wife was uh, kind enough to <laughs> accompany me on the journey she really? had never been here her first time we were here was like we we moved here
0: so you committed to move here like a brief visit and, and set yeah. up a business here not knowing a whole lot about the the,
1: the area or you, you yeah, must I mean, have known just, that it just, was a bike you know, town and stuff like oh, that. oh of course yeah i mean this is the this you know it's the heart of biking in america right, portland right. oregon especially especially urban biking yeah, so, yeah sure um yeah that certainly played into it i mean you want to you want to be developing products in a place where you've got uh, sure. fertile now, soil. Did you, already,
0: did you already have product ideas in your head? I mean, you had a pretty good conception of the kind of accessories that were really similar to what you had, did, had done at the other place? Or, or you're like, oh, I've got like
1: 10 designs in my head. I just want to make them. I wanted it, I wanted to do something more. Um, I wanted to, I guess I wanted to create more of a brand and something that would get people really excited about biking and excited mm-hmm. about the products. Um, So Planet Bike, Planet Bike, they did and do make great quality products, um, but they don't. Their focus isn't on products that um, someone's going to be like, I've got this like Planet. What kind of water bottle gauge do you have? Oh, I've got this Planet Bike water bottle cage. It's you know it's a water bottle cage and it does what it it was designed to do. But I wanted to create a company where people would be like. Oh yeah, this it's you know it's shaped you know it's shaped like a bird and yeah, I'm design designers so makes these you know? I mean, yeah, like, I, like, like
0: owls and cats. Yeah, and
1: I uh, yeah we just just had this vision of something that was more design focused and fun. Um, but that was a concept like from the get go. You were like, okay. I, I mean,
0: it, I, I'm always curious about is this sort of an evolved style or so? It was a very it was a
1: very deliberate style that you, that came right from the beginning. It was very deliberate that it would be. That each piece would be pretty unique, um, and we'd use materials like a lot of our early products um, were had bamboo. A lot of those products still exist. Some of them don't because bamboo is not good for everything. Right, we found right, out, right. Yeah. Like trial gri- and error, grips, right? For instance, we had bamboo grips that were. Um, I mean, bamboo is just maybe they looked really cool, but yeah. as far as performance wise, they're a little hard. Yeah, to, I mean, I Can around. <laughs> um, uh, Yeah. So from the get go. We were uh, definitely definitely focused on um, having things that had a wow factor that you'd look at and be like, wow, I want to put that on my bike so that my bike looks cool. You know, there's this, at the time, especially this huge frame builder scene um, mm-hmm. that was blossoming and people wanted accessories that could go on those bikes. But maybe, you know, even talking to frame builders, they'd be like, yeah, people want these custom racks for their bikes, but, you know, it's not really takes me just as much time to build this bike as it takes sure. to build this rack so why not build a production rack that right. would look good on this bike you know things like that
0: so you i mean it, it was really a kind of a perfect thing right you it came to a market that you knew was a really good bike town even though you hadn't seen it before <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but you but given your experience it's kind of like you could hit hit the ground running as it were because i you know, you, you know how to to get them made because you're experienced. You could go to China if you wanted to because you could speak the language. You you could to, Did you do your own
1: designs at first or yeah, yeah? And so you were uh, a designer too. Uh, so it was myself and a guy named Lars uh, Lars Hushka, who, um, and then um, Dan Powell were kind of the three the three guys who um, started it up. So together. you did that as a partnership. But these guys? Uh, well, Lars just kind of Lars sort of uh, lended just sort of lended a hand at first with because uh, he's an industrial designer, um, and so Dan and I would come to him and be like, "Oh, we want this thing. It's it's you know it's got to look like this and yeah. do this. And like, can you just can you make it look cool?" <laughs> and that's kind of how it usually yeah. goes. And Lars would be like, "Yeah, I can make it look cool," and uh, he always does.
0: Wow. So what did that? <laughs> what did that? What does that feel like? Um, you know, take us to that moment when. You know, the very first thing you designed is very unique and it comes in the mail or however, however you did it. I mean, I don't Did you have a shop
1: here that you would make your test products or yeah, as it were? It's like it really depends on the product. So there's things there's things that we make full prototypes of here or we 3D print. Um there's other stuff that's more complicated, where the even the initial prototypes are done in like Taiwan um, because they involve electrical engineering, you know, especially lights. Mm-hmm. Lights are so complicated. There's so many little subcomponents yes. and things going on. It's, it's, uh, it's no joke. And we don't have an electrical engineer on staff, so we rely on our, you know, mm-hmm. our partners to do some of that the, the nitty gritty um, programming and things like that. Um, so it's a lot of back and forth. But honestly, I think in the uh, in product development, the most exciting part is when you get when you get that final three um, D image of like this is what this thing is going to look like, yeah. or this is our yeah. ideal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it still changes yeah. after that, but you're like, this is what we want to make. Like, let's let's go make this thing now. Um, sometimes by the time that you actually that you're actually starting to see prototypes or that you bring it to market, you've seen it. For for a right, year, right. you know, and so it's not, it doesn't have that wow factor as when you first, you know, you're first really developing that design and yeah. all the aesthetics and stuff.
0: Is there like a one in particular that gave you the biggest wow of all the products? I mean, you have quite a line, so. Um, and oh, I don't you mind you lot to lot play stuff. favorites. It's like probably picking a child, <laughs> I suppose. But was there one in particular that you just went, man? I mean, this is really happening. I'm doing this, and this is pretty dang cool.
1: Yeah, I think I think two of our. Two of our initial products that we had, one of them, the, um, what was it called, the, uh, the Poco Pump. So it was, uh, it, was, it was extruded alloy barrels, this little mini pump, and then it had a bamboo handle and nice. magnetic closure, and we had like the, the plunger was sort of an Easter egg of a, like a bright anodized green that you only saw if you opened it up, otherwise it looked relatively subdued. Um, and then all these CNC machined parts. I mean, it was just like this really high end, right. awesome looking right. piece. Um, for me, that was that was one that came together really well, and uh, wow. I was super excited about when yeah. we first saw uh, first saw some samples. I was well, like, the, wow, this is going to blow people away. I, I and I hope it did. I, I was that what a good yeah, seller. Yeah, for you? yeah, we caught we we caught a lot of people's attention. I mean, it took us it took us years to sort of build up a brand and make people realize that we exist, but. Um, you know, we've created. I think we've created a lot of buzz in the industry. Like when we, you know, when we first launched, and with a lot of those initial products, and hopefully still.
0: And you to this primarily day. rely on uh, wholesale distribution. Is that?
1: Or, yeah. Or online. Yeah, or primarily. I mean, we, we go through every channel. Omnichannel, as they call it these days, yeah. right? Um, so, you know, we have a website that you can purchase our stuff on. We sell to bicycle shops, and we sell through distributors. The biggest chunk of our sales is through distributors, and they they do sort of the work of um, distributing it all out to, to bicycle shops.
0: Wow. Did you ever have to finance this on the outside, by the way, to get this business started? Because obviously yeah. entrepreneurs love to, you know, figure out how to
1: raise money and things. So how did yeah. that work for you? So... Uh, the initial investment came from both myself and uh, Dan selling our houses that we had. Oh, so then yeah, that's a classic using the story, equity, right? Yeah, using the equity. I mean, we had to sell them anyway because we were moving out here, right? right? So, um, yeah, I sold those and, and use the equity to uh, to set up the company. I think the total, um, I think the total that we had, we had a little bit of money. Um, from an outside investor as well, but the total was like seventy thousand dollars to start up the company. I mean, that's it's not a lot when you're dealing with a with no. a product heavy to no. to, in, to you know to import shipments of things and uh, um, yeah, all that stuff. I mean, it was a lot of, but it sounds yeah. like it was enough because uh, did you ever have to go to the well or uh, as so it were? We had. I have to say, we had a lot of help from um, from our suppliers who. Uh, who just trusted us to be there. You know, they saw the designs and everything. They believed in what we were doing. So we would. they would do things like, you know, we'll we'll ship you this stuff and just, you know, like pay us when you sell it. Um, so we'd have, you know, we'd be working on 60 or 90 day terms on a wow, lot of this stuff. And that provides a huge, great. huge cushion. Yeah. Um,
0: and that's just because you had good relationships with them? Because that's an yeah. interesting point for any yeah. anybody that's going to be making yeah. to, to get those kind of relationships. Is there I'm, a key to that? That's a,
1: it's a big, yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, you just have to be, um, just be a good, honest business partner, um, earn people's respect and, um, and yeah. And, and more, more often than not, I found that they'll be willing to help you out and uh, cut you some slack. I suppose just ask, right? I mean, that's, yeah, half that's, the that's the biggest thing too. I mean, even if for people out there who have businesses and they have like whatever sort of terms with their supplies, or maybe they're paying cash on demand for something, you know, and you've, you've been doing business with people for Years Be like, hey, what, you know, it would really help us out if we could get 30-day terms on this stuff or whatever. Or, you know, maybe we'll pay you 50% up front so you've got that security and we'll pay you 50% in 30 days or 60 days. Whatever it is, it never hurts to ask on that stuff. And No. Um, a lot of times you'll find that people will be like, yeah, sure, we can, we can help you out. That's amazing because so then it, you know, just
0: some initial investment uh, from you and your founders and, and then in some great support from your suppliers – and then allowed yeah. you to essentially get the business going, which is, um, you know, for you know for a maker like yourself, uh, it's pretty cash intensive. It's it's selling things, so you have to make them to sell them. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, just it worked out, I guess. <laughs> That's great. So so okay, so we we've launched now. This is two thousand and eight, right here in Portland. Yeah. Um, how did you how did you find did, did did Oregon and Portland sort of meet your expectation or, and what, what do you think the je ne sais quoi? I always call it here is in terms of make, why is it such a receptive place to an entrepreneur like you? Do you think?
1: Oh, just because there's so many small businesses. I think it's looking around at other cities. I think it's more common now than it was at the time. I think that was a, because, because it was the financial crisis in 2008 mm-hmm. um, that we were going through, a lot of people sort of out of necessity turned to starting up little things because they got laid off or whatever else. Uh, but in Portland, it seemed like it was already going on more so than other places uh, where there's just this huge network of small businesses. And almost from day one, we were able to draw on... Uh, that support network and be like, oh, who do you who do you use as an accountant? Like, what do you do for this? Like, who's a good right. like, banker in town? And like, what are tips? How do we, you know, help us out with this part of our business plan? Or who, there's just, there's so many little tips that you get just sitting down at a table with other small business owners. And we did a lot of uh, uh, outreach in the beginning. You did. Uh, any, any like agencies or other resources that you use? Uh, definitely the PDC, um, uh, those guys helped us out a lot. Which is now Prosper Portland. Prosper Portland now, yep. Um, trying to think of who else in the really early stages of business planning. Uh, there's a national orga- organization called Soar S O A R, and we got a bunch of um, got a bunch of advice from them, especially sort of business plan templates and cash flow um, templates and all of that stuff to work through. Um, yeah, but then uh, the local bike the bike businesses from the builders to um oh there's 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 a zillion uh little bike businesses in town
0: yeah there's so much biking here (laughs) it's like um it's like amsterdam of uh, well not quite amsterdam if you've been to amsterdam you'll know what i'm saying uh, where it's like bicycles are everywhere.
1: Right. But it still blows people's minds. Yeah. So when you when you yeah. ride, I mean, my commute, I come down come down Interstate and go on the East Blade and Gasplanade and then hit some of that new infrastructure that's there in the southeast um, that runs sort of parallel to the new Max line. Uh, especially in the summer, it's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> the, the number of bikes that are down there are going north and south during rush hour on Vancouver and Williamsa. Uh, I mean, it's really cool. There's um, People are blown away when they come from other cities and they see that. Do you find that, did you find that
0: to that end, and this is a perfect demographic for you, but did you find that your audience for your products turned out to be what you expected? I mean, you know, you tend to, you know, your pitch is very much towards the urban bike rider. I mean, is that, that's the pitch, the marketing pitch, but in practice and in your
1: demand and, and, and the people that buy your stuff, uh, is that, that's true? Mostly? Yeah, that's definitely true. I think it's a lot of urban bike riders. We've stretched out, um, it's a little bit broader than that. It's, it's just, it's people having fun on bikes, I think, <laughs> and people who are really into into bicycles and want to have uh, cool bikes and, and uh, cool stuff on their or bikes. Or them naked yeah. in Portland and things. <laughs> That's right. It's a crazy That's town right. for
0: that, but there's bikes everywhere. It's just bikes and bikes and bikes. So um, have you had the weather, uh, you know, in a couple of pieces that I read, it sounded like, you know, like any other business, you've had turnover with, you know, with your and your your partner decided to leave, and mm-hmm. and that's always fun. I, I mean, that, not fun, but it's always kind of one of those things that, uh, at least from a business interruption point of view, is always significant. Yeah. Um, I mean, everybody goes through that. I mean, any advice that you could pass
1: along uh, about that? Um, I think uh, I think just meet if you have partners, sit down and meet regularly over a beer and be honest and talk about how you're feeling. You know, I think, I think, um, um, you know, depending on what your personality is, uh, you might just sorta want to keep the peace, um, and, uh, avoid conflict. I know that's how I am. Um, but it's, it's, uh, once you've had the conversations and, all of that, everyone everyone comes out the other end being feeling better, you know. Um, well, that's the important so, yeah, thing. Yeah, that's just, the important just keep, thing. keeping that communication open and, and making a habit of regularly sitting down. And
0: But it probably became somewhat of a distraction. And, I, and I, I sort of read that at the same time, you kind of had to get, you had to move from a location and I guess sales weren't so great and... Oh yeah! Uh, are, 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 how do you? How did you weather? <laughs> how did you weather that? <laughs> this I guess was just triple, last like year, like a, actually. Yeah, it's so like yeah, it everything. A- everything seems to come in threes. So you had the threes. Yeah, the threes yeah. came. So, yep. so how did, you know, how did you react to that in hindsight? I mean, did you feel like okay, I, I did the right things. I got through this, and how would you come out the other side?
1: Yeah, I think most of the most of the decisions that we made were the right ones. Um, I think it's the same. I think it's the same with any business. When you face adversity, you've just gotta you've got to look at. Um, I mean, when it comes to money, you have to look at what you need to cut, um, how you can save, um, how you can be more efficient, and then and then look to the future and map out a plan. Like, how can we how can we dig out of this? You know, let's let's not just let's not cross our fingers and just and try our hardest and hope. Let's mm-hmm. let's map it out. Like, what do we need to what do we need to do this month? What do we need to do by the end of the year? Uh, if we don't do that, what's what's our next step, um, and have a plan in mind so that you can, um, you can sort of stay focused and on track. I suspect,
0: uh, given the fact that the bounce back seemed to be pretty good, that uh, you know your bookkeeping, your record keeping, your cash management was pretty tight because um, it's. To, and I have found in my experience it's just almost impossible to weather these things without it. I mean, was that the case for you? And can you speak to the importance of that for a small business person?
1: Oh, for sure. Uh, and I think most sm- small business owners understand that uh, you got to treat every dollar like it's your last, <laughs> and really think about. And if you're and if you're spending money on something, um, you know, a good way to gauge is if what if I spent this on something else, like could I could could something else uh, bring us more benefit than the thing I'm spending on? You know, for us, um, trade shows or something in the last couple of years that we've kind of been like, eh, you know, there's some mm-hmm. there's some good, some mm-hmm. good, some bad, but um, the industry seems to be moving away from them a little bit just because they they're so expensive, um, and with the internet you can communicate with people so well, or know, just visit if you're dealing with, in our case, dealing with a lot of distributors, just go and visit the distributors, talk one-on-one, have their full attention for a day rather than right. for 20 minutes at a trade show booth where they're talking to 50 other people that day. Um, just little things like that, just making sure that you're getting a return on your investment.
0: So it's like just being smarter.
1: I mean, about it. Yeah, just think think about everything a lot,
0: basically. And I probably I wanted to address this, and I should. Uh, just because it's where we are it's a, you know it, it, we're in this time now where you know locally made or made in the USA is really important. I know you make quite a bit of your your stuff overseas well in China, right?
1: Taiwan actually. Taiwan yeah actually. we don't like, we don't do
0: anything in China. How do you sort of market that or how, how do you approach that from the standpoint? There's some of your audience that's going to want to buy that product if it's made locally, but it sounds like you haven't had, had a pro- haven't had much of a difficulty overcoming that. And I know a lot of makers in town are struggling with the same uh, decision mm-hmm. because of manufacturing costs. I mean, you, just, right. you, you need to make a profit. So, right? How do you sort of see that in relationship to the, I guess, the trend line of, of things being locally made?
1: Uh, well, we do we do limited. Limited runs of things here and there that are locally made, and it's nice to do it when we can. Um, we have a couple of future products that'll be made locally. Actually, one maybe in Spokane, um, but we've never had a lot of pushback on it. I think people understand the realities of international trade and manufacturing. I mean, you look at something like a um, uh, like a bicycle light, for instance, and. You know, we deal with a a manufacturer in Taiwan who's made bike lights and only bike lights for forty years. So, um, they're the best at it. I mean, they're, they're the best in the world at it. Like you, uh, they're bringing in these components from Japan and uh, and all over the place, mm-hmm. and assembling them. And they have engineers that understand how the optics work. Um, you, d- they're just. There's no one who's doing that. And we don't have the resources to say, we're going to start up a manufacturing operation in, in Portland, Oregon. You know, if I had $50 million to invest, right. um, I could, but uh, we're a uh, long, long way from being there. But um, don't you think, don't you think the,
0: the, with that understanding, uh, there's still an allure to say, okay, there are people here in this town. Creative people in this town came up with those designs, and it's really their product. It just happens to be, you know, to 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 get that product to you and to be so cool, and be sort of Portland design. It has to be made this way for us to get it to you. I mean,
1: isn't that kind of the thing? It's like I wouldn't be able to make this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't know how to most of our stuff. I wouldn't know how to get it done in the U.S. Or if it was. I mean, we looked we looked into doing a, a rear rack actually, but. Um, if we're going to sell it to, uh, independent bicycle shops, um, you know, that rack's going to come in to the consumer at $375 and that's, a there's, it'd be tough to, yeah. it'd be tough to sell a lot of racks for $375. Wow. Well, we've
0: covered a lot of ground, but I want to cover one last thing since we're, uh, about out of time. And I asked this of everybody that, 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 that comes on the podcast is that, okay, you've got nearly 10 years in the rear view mirror now in this business. Uh, there's probably one piece of advice. If someone just sat here right now and said, you know, what, what can you tell me a prospective entrepreneur that, that I can use, you know, a piece of advice that comes from hard won experience on your part,
1: <laughs> what would it be? I would say, uh, just give your decisions a lot of thought and talk to, talk to experts as much as possible. Have a, have a sounding board. Um, whether it be legal or in, um, you know, accounting, uh, any, any of the, any sort of the, the major things, HR, uh, don't, don't just sort of muddle your way through it. Like give it a good hard think and talk to people about it. Cause there's a lot of smart people who have a ton of experience and, um, there's so much to learn about all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, don't, don't be afraid to reach out. That is awfully
0: good advice, Eric. Eric, um, thanks. Where can people find you and your
1: products? Uh, local bicycle shops all over all over the U.S. of A. Um, we've got a ton of great shops here in Portland that that stock our stuff. Uh, you can check our stuff out at ridepdw.com, our website. Yeah, uh, we've got a lot of fun videos and things up there that uh, that uh, if you're into I've bikes, seen a couple of <laughs> if you're into them. Cool. they're cool. Everybody, I <laughs> like them. Um,
0: They produce some really cool videos, so check them out, Portland Design Works. Eric, thanks so much for joining us in the podcast today. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. All right. Our special thanks today to Eric Olson, founder of Portland Design Works. You can find his products in local bike shops all over the country and online at RidePDW.com. Thanks again for listening to Making Oregon, a production of Built Oregon, the media company that tells stories to connect, instigate, and support entrepreneurs all across the state. Find out more about our online magazine and our upcoming live events by visiting builtoregon.com. Once again, I'm your host, Terry St. Marie. Our engineer is Jamie Colazzo and our producer is Davia Larson. We'll be back soon with more makers, doers, and innovators sharing stories of how they are making Oregon.